Welcome to the Government Ops Podcast. I'm Rob Anderson, City Manager of the City of Fairborn. And I'm Megan Howard, Communications Manager for the City of Fairborn, and we are the hosts of the Government Ops Podcast. So you may ask yourself, what is the Government Ops Podcast? And really, it's trying to give everybody an overview of the different city departments, uh, what those departments do, what programs we offer, what services we have here. Uh, we're really excited to have folks understand and learn what we do as employees. I think there's a lot of questions that we get about our operations and what uh, what exactly we're doing at times. Uh, some of those are positive questions. Some are a little different, but uh, we want to really excited to share kind of not only the departments, but also the people that we have, uh, the wonderful folks that do everything on a daily basis. So if uh, you're ready for this. I'm ready. I'm ready. Uh, so let's get this episode going. Welcome to the Government Ops Podcast. I'm Rob Anderson, City Manager of the City of Fairborn. And I'm Megan Howard, Communications Manager for the City of Fairborn. And today on the podcast is Terry Atkins. Hello. He is our Public Works Director. If you're following along this episode number eight of our podcast, we have several more to do. I don't know the number off the top of my head, but it's at least three more. I think so. Uh, so we may get to 11, 12 by the time we're all said and done. We wanted to cover the, the topic today is public works. And we really want Terry to kind of give everybody an idea of what does public works mean? Uh, so, Terry, let's start with that question. What, When you think of public works, what does public works mean, at least in the city of Fairport? For the city of Fairborn, public works is an assortment of different departments. We have the water and sewer division, we have the street division, we have the engineering division. Within the water and sewer division, that also includes our water treatment and our wastewater plants. Uh, street and sanitation is street and sanitation. That's where we're taking care of the potholes and the snow removal. And our engineering division is who's engineering and taking care of our roads and future projects. So we'll do engineering with our own episode because there's a lot really to unpack when we talk about engineering because there's things with how street repairs get made, how uh, design for street repairs, how street improvements get made. I know we take a lot of flack at times for streets being torn up because they're getting repaired. Uh, we'll delve into that a little bit more deeply when we talk specifically about engineering. So uh, with with regard to what you do, the street side, let's talk about street maintenance really first. So, so kind of unpack what you all do on a daily basis when it comes to maintaining our streets. So for maintaining our streets, we are looking at those areas where we have potholes that needs repaired, whether that be due to inclement weather throughout the winter, uh, summertime, uh, maybe we've had construction and things didn't get fixed. So our staff will go out and take care of some of those repairs. Kind of going along with that, if we make repairs, then we're also gonna put you know the lines back. So our guys are gonna paint the lines on the street. But our biggest portion of that is our repairs coming from our water and sewer division, from water line repairs, sewer line repairs, the things that, you know, our other department is doing, we follow behind them to put things back to the way they were before. So really anything in between the, the sidewalks on either side of the street is something that you guys would maintain yeah. a repair yes sir curb to curb um you know our street division also takes care of our sign and signal so you know they take care of those street name signs stop signs yield signs the they're taking care of those red lights at every intersection uh, so anything in the roadway uh providing warning or uh caution to our travelers in fairborn okay there's been a little bit of i don't want to say controversy but questions about one particular practice that we do, and it's crack sealing. 
uh, sealing of cracks in our roadways. It's a natural phenomenon for asphalt to crack. It's just what it does, right? Yes. The weather takes its toll on it. Those cracks then get water in them, and that creates eventually a deterioration of the road. What's the benefit of crack sealing, and it's how prevalent? Do a lot of other communities do it? We're not unique in that respect, I guess what I'm asking. It's everyone across the country crack seals. Um, blacktop is going to break down. Where we live in this climate, wintertime, you know, you know, water, it's going to expand in the winter. So it's constantly moving that pavement. It's always breaking it up. Summertime, things you know dry out. It shrinks down. It draws up. So if you don't crack seal those areas that, you know, we, you know, we call it alligatoring, but you'll see all those small lines and cracks and squares. And if you don't put that crack seal in to hold it in place, it'll just come apart. So we use that to hold the road together. And then also in the areas of those larger cracks that we can put that crack seal in to seal it up, keep that water out as much as possible to eliminate that, that swelling. And, and that water gets under that pavement and that's what's pushing it up and down basically. Are we doing that to buy time? Yes, sir. So it, the way that we do our crack sealing is we pick an area that needs to be sealed to prevent water from being put in there and how destructive a force water is, is immense. But we're also, it, it, it's a cheaper alternative than say going in and taking out large swaths of pavement and replacing that. Is that right? That is right. For us to go in and all those areas that's broken up to completely remove all of that area and put back in new blacktop, there's no way we could do that with our budgets. Sure. Um, so it's, it's a preventative maintenance and that's what we're doing. We're trying to get as much life out of that roadway, out of that material as possible. One benefit from having a few interested residents is that we've improved our process over time with how we crack seal. Explain some of the things that we do differently or more than other communities might not do. So every year we, we do, we locate those areas across town. Uh, we do look at some of the newer areas where along that curbway that we're gonna go out and seal that up to prevent that water from coming in. The older areas where we know that we're gonna hope to get designed and get repaired in the coming years, we're gonna put some time in there doing that crack seal, trying to seal those up, or at least hold that blacktop together as best as possible until we can get to the point of doing a complete repair. Okay, so I appreciate you going through all that. I think that's interesting stuff that I know until I started working for the city, I didn't know that. But Megan, I don't know about you, maybe I, something I you not. knew. So if we didn't crack seal, Basically, our roads would be torn up. Oh, if you didn't all crack seal, they over yes. the place. They I mean, worse than well, it and, is now. And especially the, one of the biggest things that a lot of people don't think is if you really go and look, where is the worst areas that you see the road coming apart? It's where that one time a week, every week, that that garbage truck goes down the side of the road because of that weight. Right. And so it breaks that area up. Well, that's also typically your lowest side of the road with the crown. Mm -hmm. So that's where the majority of that moisture is going. Well, those garbage trucks, every week, they're traveling that exact same path. Mm -hmm. And so it breaks that area up. Then in the winter and in the summer, when it rains or that snow melt, it's running to those sides because that is the lowest area. Right. So it's constantly getting under that blacktop and it's just moving and it just busts it up. And An interesting phenomenon, if you, if you drive some neighborhoods 
it's interesting to see how pavement reacts in shade. Uh, so, for example, and I just, it took me a while to understand this, but you'll see some areas where the road will be perfectly intact. And then there'll be an area that gets a large amount of shade, and that area will be, will be torn up. Uh, and I didn't realize it was because the water doesn't evaporate off of that That's from true. the sun like it does in the other areas. Huh. So you'll see just, uh, if you ever notice, driving down a road and you'll see perfectly fine road and then in this one spot, it'll be all torn up. It's because there's probably shade from a tree that's keeping that area wetter than the others. You know, a lot of times you can be in that area and if you see that garbage truck or that heavy vehicle go over that area, watch that area roadway under their tire when they pass over it. You'll actually see it give to the weight right? because it holds that moisture. Like you said, that sun's not taking that moisture away from it. So it's just always, you know, staying wet. You know, it stays moist there. Right. And it's amazing that a garbage truck, a school bus, the amount of weight when it goes over that pavement and you can actually see it flex, sure. you know, so. We'll get into this a little bit more with engineering, but I think we probably should mention it here is we do an evaluation of our pavement on a fairly regular basis. Every few years or so, we have somebody that'll come in and we'll do some scoring of our pavement. Talk a little bit about that and how we use that for some of the repairs, if you don't mind. I know they have, so they come in, they look at every area and they they grade it. So of course, you know, those areas where that pavement is thinner, older, torn up more, you know, to those newer areas, those newer construction spots to where they were just put in. Uh, so from a, a repair standpoint, we've, you've been with the city- 24 years. 24 years, in that 24 year time, We've had periods where we've had funding has been good and funding has been bad. It's where the years, the periods where we haven't had as much funding, where we haven't been able to put as much money into the repairs that we would normally make on some of the roads. So we haven't done the basic maintenance. What does that do to a roadway over time? How far behind does that put us in terms of the overall quality of our streets? Well, it, it puts us way behind. If, if you think about balancing your checkbook, if... If you miss two years of doing repairs, so those roads have degraded and fell apart for those two years that you haven't done anything, well, all those other roads are degrading at the same time. So it really puts you kind of behind the eight ball of, you know, we want to stay up on it as much as possible. And as long as you can continue to do those repairs on a regular basis, but when you miss that year, that two years, you know, or more, uh, then you're playing catch up. And when you're doing complete road repair, it's, it's very costly. Sure. So there are some places where we've not had the ability to go in and make those repairs. So I guess uh, we'll talk about this here. Some of the reason why we're taking, doing so many streets at once and repairing them is that we're so far behind. We need to work on those streets now while we have the funds available. Yes. And, you know, uh, Fairborn, like a lot of other communities, the time that it was built there, you know, I'm not saying that they didn't put a lot of forethought into it, but those roads were built in 
not necessarily having the best base under that road. And so, you know, the better the foundation, the better the product. And roadway is for sure, uh, it falls in that category that if you can have that solid base under that blacktop, it's definitely going to last a lot longer. And a lot of our roads was gone in and leveled out and a little bit of gravel put here and there, but they didn't have that strong, solid base under them. And then when you do go looking at doing those repairs, it does get costly because, you know, if, if we're going to fix it, we want to fix it and we want it to last. Sure. So by doing that base work, that complete road um, reconstruction, it, it gets very costly. Well, and we're not dealing with an all year type of opportunity The you know, the construction season right. is pretty short. So it's, yes. you know, if we get an issue at the you know middle of winter, there's only so much that the guys can do to fix that, right? That's right. In the wintertime, you're you're not going to be able to go get that hot mix blacktop. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's a cold patch, a patch that you're going to use to take care of it until the conditions warm up to where you can get out there and do it. Now, we have been lucky in the last couple of years. We can get hot mix blacktop, but we have to travel several miles to be able to get it. And we have a trailer unit, it's a hot box. So when it's loaded, it, it keeps it at temperature. Uh, but you're not going to be able to do a lot of repairs with it because the the distance you have to get it and get it back to town and, and to make those repairs. I just think that's an important thing for us to mention is that you know, there's this assumption that we can do construction projects all year long, you know, and, and so why aren't these roads getting fixed? It, it seems like it's taking forever. Or why aren't these potholes getting filled? Well, there's just not, there's a, a gap in We have in a the brief window. We can, yeah, I guess there's we a do. brief window that that work can get done. Yeah, if, I mean, it would be great if we had every day 85 degrees and at right. night 60, but we don't have that. So uh, we lose many, many months of the year that y you just can't do those projects, whether it be a lot of rain, whether it be snow, those cold temperatures. So it does limit the amount of work that you can do in a year. And so you're trying to squeeze a lot into a short amount of time. That's a good segue to the next question I want to ask you. One, we're recording this episode in the summertime, so it's not something that we have to think about for the next few months. But let's talk about Hopefully. snow plowing. <laughs> Hopefully, although you never know, right? I mean, yeah. anything could happen. Uh, talk about snow plowing. So, what is? How do we divvy up the city when we have snow events? How do? What is some of our priorities, and how do, how do we go about keep removing snow off the streets? So our street division, they're responsible for maintaining and clearing all that all that bad weather off of our roadway. Um, typically, what we do for you know a smaller snow is our first. I lost a word. I want to use our, our first priority. responsibility. Our first priority is always going to be those main arteries. Sure. So we want to take care of those those larger streets, those main arteries around town that people can get to and from. Um, once we get those roads opened up, then we're going to start looking at our plats. But uh, we have a very small limited, a very small amount of equipment to take care of every road in this town. Sure. Uh, so to take care of those main roads, number one priority, and then second priority is then to get into those flat plats, if you want to say, or those flat streets. Um, 
we do try to put great emphasis on hitting those areas in plats and areas we have hills, sure. stop signs at the bottom of the hills, red lights. We don't want people, you know, sliding into others, but we, we try to maintain the worst areas or the most highly traveled areas first. I give you guys credit because I believe and living in this community for several years, we do a pretty good job compared to some of our neighbors. Uh, because usually when we have a snow event, if you had a Fairborne Road, it's maybe wet, but it's it's blacktop. I mean, you get you get good surface to go on. It may be wet, but it's clear. I take a whole lot of pride in our guys. I think we do a great job compared to other areas. And, you know, we have a lot of other uh, neighbors that they, they have more manpower and they have more equipment. But with the amount of people that we have in street department and the amount of equipment, I think we do a phenomenal job. And we do rely on other departments. Our water and sewer department, those guys, they step up. They volunteer to help us when our guys have reached. Sure. You know, they're, they're at the end of their week. They've put a lot of hours in, and, you know, they, they finally hit that wall and say, hey, I need a break for a while. So if we're getting pounded by snow and we're having a multiple, I mean, it just keeps going and going and going. What type of, so you mentioned the, the number of hours our folks put in. What does that look like if I'm a, a streets employee and we start to get an event? I'm working. How long am I working? What's that shift look like? When is the end in sight? What we've tried to do is if we know we have those large events coming in, we've tried to work with the other departments, find out who is willing to volunteer to help us. So we get a list. So we have the guys assigned in the street division. So they're going to start out and we like to run basically a 12 hour shift. We're going to run those guys 12 hours. They know what time they're going to get off. They know they got 12 hours to go home, eat, rest, you know, just take a break from it. Sure. And then those those other guys are going to come in. They're going to run that 12 hours. And we've done it multiple times to where those trucks don't shut off for, you know, days on end. Sure. But it's, it's just that constant rollover of guys being on a 12-hour shift. And it, it gives them adequate time to get rested, to take a break from it. Snow plowing is not physically taxing, but it is very mentally sure. taxing. So, I don't think people have a, an appreciation for the size of that plow and the size of that truck when you're sitting in it. I mean, it is a large vehicle with a large plow on the front. It is a large vehicle, and you have a lot of weight, and you have a lot of moving pieces. And in driving that truck and doing that, you're also watching everything else out there, going in and out around parked cars, going, you know, in intersections. You need to turn around and go back down the other side. And, uh, you know, whether it be people on the sidewalks, you know, slowing down so you're not covering them up with that snow. So there's a lot of things you got to think about when you're out there doing it. Sure. Uh, so it, it does get very taxing. And, you know, if when the guys are out there doing that, we always ask people, you know, give them space, give them room. They've probably been there and probably been doing it for quite a while. Sure. So give them a little bit of room. Uh, they want to make the roads better for all of us. So that leads me to the next question about our fleet. You mentioned some of those trucks are not the newest trucks to ever be made, right? So we're, no, they're not. We're, we don't have the luxury of an unlimited budget for vehicles and equipment. Uh, the trucks that we use for snow are used year-round for something else. We don't have That's special correct. snow trucks, right? So explain that, how we we take a dump truck and we put a plow on it and that turns into a plow. Yes, we do. We um, 
we have eight large trucks that maintains town, the city of Fairborn. Um, those eight trucks are outfitted with plow salt spreaders. They're a they're a tailgate dump spread, spreader unit. Uh, we also use our backhoes. We use our loaders to help clear those cul-de-sacs and those other areas. Um, speaking of, you know, for the volunteers, our parks and rec dev- uh, department, you know, they have those pickup trucks and they have uh, small V-box spreaders in the back. Right. So they help us a lot around the downtown area and the areas that they're doing. You know, our water department, we try to always maintain a couple four-wheel drive pickup trucks. Now, they're not able to put salt on the road to help us there, but they can at least clear the snow. Sure. So it's a orchestrated effort when something happens. It's not just getting out with these big trucks. So there's a whole group of people working and working together to make this happen. You see the guys on the road doing their thing. And then we have a group of people behind the scenes that you don't see. And, you know, when our guys get done with an area, they're calling in and we're marking that area on the map. So we know that area has been done. A lot of times, you know, our first responders will give us a call and say, hey, you know, we have a call. Have we hit this area? Because we need to get there, and we're not sure if we're going to be able to get there. If we know we haven't, we dispatch that vehicle to get out there in front of them to try to clear that path for them so they can get there safely as well. That's great. That's great. There's a lot of, you hear a lot about some communities using beet juice, uh, different stuff in their salt. What Do we use any of those, I don't want to say, gimmicks because they may work i don't know but do we use any of that stuff to to help and does it work i don't make me a make me look like a fool i'm fine with that okay (laughs) so we we do use uh beet heat juice um and it's basically a salt activator so they have proof so you know in the old days you throw the salt on the ground you know if you go salt your driveway and you throw it on the ground and it melts that salt that snow once that little bit of moisture mixes in with that small, that salt, it really speeds up that melt process. So it's been proven that if you can wet that salt as it's coming off the truck to get it on the road, it's actually doing a couple things. It's going to help make that salt stick to the ground. So it's not just, you know, running right over to the curb. And it's also going to activate that salt to make it start melting that snow that's on the ground, that ice that's on the ground a little bit quicker. So that's the secret to our success, right? That helps with when you look at our roads and they're dry, they're wet, but but melted. That's part of the reason. It is part of the reason. Uh, we started using. I'm gonna say we probably started. We started using beet heat. Uh, oh gosh, I don't know. I shouldn't have said that because now I don't know. But <laughs> years yeah. ago, years ago, yeah. You're teaching me all kinds of things, right? Like, yeah, it's pretty fun. Yeah. I know as a parent, I appreciate the roads being plowed. My kids don't like it because that means they they got to go, go to school. But, you know, as a parent, I'm yeah. like, you got to go to school. That's what you get. You get you get the parents saying, hey, thank you. I appreciate yep. it. And you got the kids, you know, wanting to throw snowballs at you. Says, oh, I don't want to go to school. Well, and that, so that's a good point. Does We have contact with the schools on on snow events. They typically call you or somebody yeah. in the street department to see what the conditions are, right? We will We will talk with the school district and let them know what we're seeing, the conditions of the road. I know they do go out themselves. They drive the roadways and, you know, they make that determination whether they're going to have school or not on their own. But we are in contact with them. We'll let them know if we know we have an event coming in. We'll we'll talk with them and say, hey, you know, we're planning on coming in at X 
hour of the morning or or night and we always try to stay ahead of it so we the kids don't like us on that side but we we try to keep it to where they can get to school no hate mail to, to no hate mail because of school being not canceled and i just appreciate the fact that it's it's so much more than just getting in your truck and plowing the road it is and i don't i just i mean i i didn't realize the logistical stuff um and so i think it's it's just really cool to hear and important to hear that there's so much more that goes into it other than just telling a bunch of people to get in a truck and start plowing yeah i mean we we try to put a good plan uh every person that's in that truck has a designated area i mean we don't just send the guys out there blindly and say drive around and plow so you know we designate those main areas that we want to hit first and within those main areas every one of those trucks once they're completed there, they have a designated area that that truck is going to work. Mm-hmm. So we have it broke up. We call it zones. So each of those drivers, they have a zone that they're responsible for. And when as they're completing their zone, then that's when they're calling in and we're marking those areas off on the, you know, it's a, a big dry erase board map, basically. But we're marking each of those streets off as they're completing them. Yeah. I just think that's pretty cool. You mentioned earlier, I want to dive a little bit into this now. There's more than just the folks on the road plowing when we have a snow event. Um, there's talk about a little bit before we get into the garage part, the salt. We have our own salt dome. We do. We do. Uh, so we have the salt shed. If if those trucks are out and they're running and they're putting salt on the road, we have an operator over at our salt, dorm, salt dome that's located uh, near the overpass yeah. there at Osborne Park. Uh, that gentleman's going to be over there, and every time those trucks come in, he's keeping those trucks topped off with salt. He's also keeping track of every scoop that goes on that truck. We, we want to have an accurate account of how much salt we're using for every event that that does us two things we know how much we're putting down and but it also helps us with knowing when we need to order that salt so that kind of gives us a good balance for our total that's left in the salt shit we just approved i think a month or so ago a new contract to participate in salt purchases where do we get our salt how do we procure it um just for folks that may be curious about that. Sure. Uh, for several years, we've uh, entered into an agreement with the ODOT uh, salt bid, or salt contract. So all of our salt is through ODOT. We enter into an agreement that helps us on the cost of the salt that we get. Sure. And what we have to do is we have to let them know how many tons do we want for the year, for that winter season. So we put in what we use, and currently we're doing 1,600 ton a year. We have to meet that, and we can go above that that tonnage by 10%, or we can be below that tonnage by 10% uh, within that year. Uh, The other option is a swap 4G, and that is more through it's more of a county montgomery county type thing uh it's another agreement of a pool of area you know a pool of communities that want to get in that that co-op to be able to uh, purchase that salt for a better price the odot program the reason we have liked it is we have never not been able to get our salt Um, the supply has always come to us 
when we call it, it's there. So swap 4G, and I would say, yeah, I shouldn't have went into that either because I don't know how many years it's been that we've been in the ODOT program, but the ODOT program to me is the better way to go. Sure. And we've actually had times where we've sold salt to some of our neighbors because of their inability to get salt, correct? We have. We've helped Bath Township. Uh, we've helped city of Beaver Creek. Uh, for years, Beaver Creek used to purchase the brine solution from us. Um, and as far as I know, they have that capability on their own now. Uh, but for the salt, uh, more recently, we, we do help Bath Township when Bath Township is needing some help. I know we had talked about um, if uh, Greene County or Xenia had, had needed it. We're here to help our neighbors. We know our neighbors are going to help us. That's a great, great point. The other part that's very important when it comes to not only snow plowing, but the fleet in general is our, is our garage. Uh, the, the folks that work in the garage work on everything from lawnmowers to fire engines. That's correct. Talk a little bit about the work that they do and kind of the, how important it is to keep everything kind of operating and going. So our equipment maintenance division, uh, we have we have four technicians and we have one working foreman, and and like you said, Rob, we're taking care of everything from a weed eater to a ladder truck for the fire department. Uh, we we have one technician that's designated. He works on the fire apparatus. We tell him if it's red, it's his, <laughs> and we have one gentleman that that pretty much maintains our police department. Then that leaves us our two heavy line mechanics, and they're taking care of all those in-betweens. So they could see a front-end loader, wheel loader, and an hour later they could be working on that weed eater. So they're taking care of all those items, um, keeping our city moving, and I'm very proud of them. I think they do a great job. I wholeheartedly agree, and that's everything from like leaded gas vehicles to diesel we work on anything. We do. We work on those large diesel salt trucks that we're talking about, those those fire apparatus. We're working on lawnmowers that you see out there around town that's, you know, cutting our parks and uh, sidewalk areas. They're, they're keeping everything that the city of Fairborn uses to maintain the city of Fairborn. Great, great. Let's move then to the other side of the division, the water and sewer division. Uh, let's start with water. Uh, talk a little, about, a little bit about that operation and maybe point out a couple of the facilities that we have that deal with water. Okay. So the water department, we have our water distribution collection area. So that is our maintenance department for the water department. Those guys are the ones that's taking care of those water main breaks when we have, you know, those sewer line backups, sewer cleaning. They're taking care of those water shutoff valves. They're basically, they're the guys that's going to keep the water flowing and the water going away and going to where it's supposed to be going. Sure. So they're doing all of that maintenance work. Um, within the water and sewer, we do sewer line cleaning. Uh, that sewer line cleaning is that, that jet truck, that truck that everybody sees coming through town. And, you know, we call it our, our sewer washer truck. So it's cleaning those sewer lines, keeping everything flowing. Uh, on 
Along with that, we also clean our storm lines as much as possible. We try to get that truck in there and keep those storm lines flowing. Um, Let's talk, you mentioned before some of the infrastructure when our roads were built, meaning our infrastructure is typically, water and sewer lines are typically within the roadway. Uh, when those plats were built in the 50s, let's say, when or 60s, when, when Fairborne was a brand new city, that infrastructure is equally as old. Yes. What challenges does that provide for us? Well, we, we're, the, our greatest challenge is keeping it doing what it's supposed to be doing. So, as you said, Rob, those water lines are out there. They run through the middle of the roadway. Those main sewer lines, you know, they run through the middle of the roadway. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, we've had people ask us, you know, how does the water get from there to my house? Sure. So at every house, at every business, there is a connection to that water line. So you don't only have that supply line, but you have that line, that smaller line that goes from that water main that's coming into that household. So for our guys, you know, for a water main break, when we get that, they're keeping that main supply line fixed and, and keeping that water moving the way it's supposed to. Sure. But our guys also see those those household those business service lines that actually tap off of that that's going into that house and we've seen many areas there that we got to get out and repair now our water lines city of fairborn's responsible up to that shut off right. um, and then on the sanitary side we're doing the same thing we're looking at that that main sewer line that you know everybody sees those manholes in the ground you know every 300 feet you're going to see that big round disc right. and but you know that that sanitary sewer line that's running through the center of the road is what every house is connected to to get you know if it goes down your sink if it goes down your toilet that's that's where it's going let me so the difference between the water and the sewer systems the water system is a closed system, correct? Yes, sir. And it's pressurized. It is pressurized. So that's how, so I guess the question I would ask is how does the water get from the plant to where I get it out of the tap to drink it or to take a shower? It's pushed through the system with pressure. Right? Yes, sir. How does that, wh where do we get the pressure from? How is the pressure created? What makes that water flow? So the water, so it starts. We have a north well field. Uh, it's on the north end of our town, and we have six wells out there. Our water is drawn from the aquifer in this area underground uh, through the six wells. That water is pumped roughly about two, mi two miles, and it's pumped up to Sand Hill Road, and that's where our water treatment plant facility is. Okay. So once it goes through the water treatment plant facility, then it's dispersed there with pumps. So we have three systems in the city of Fairborn. We have a low pressure system, a medium pressure, and a high pressure system. So once the water leaves that treatment facility, it's it's moving to where it's being required, you know, where that water needs to go. So it's either going to go a little bit to all three at the same time or if there's more demand in low than there is in high more water is going to go to that low side so in low it's going to 
those pumps are going to kick on and they're going to keep that water at that low pressure, you know, at that at that desired pressure that we want to maintain in low pressure. Sure. You know, we don't we don't want our low pressure water system to exceed, uh, you know, too much pressure because that's typically our little bit older areas of town. And, and if that pressure was to get higher then we would see a lot of those water main breaks and oh, and uh you know the, those bad things that we don't want to happen sure. um so kind of the middle line of the road are our medium pressure services it's the same thing so you have we have a low pressure uh pumping system we have a medium pressure pumping system and then we have our high pressure pump and basically that's pushing that water throughout the system, feeding it to our water towers. As water's being demanded, it's going to come out of those water towers. You know, they're holding facilities, but they're also helping create that pressure. Um, but those pumps are basically pushing that water to get it where it needs to be. How much water is in our water tanks? Which ones? So, <laughs> so we have, oh, that's a good one. I think Rona Hills is one, one million gallon. I think five. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. So we have, I'm just, I was just trying to think of all the water towers. So we got Rona Hills. We have the two at five points. I still call it Emro, but the right. tank out by Home Depot. Okay. And the one over by Station One. And the one by Station One. Okay. And so the way I always remember, remember them is Station One over here is low. So Rona Hills takes care of the Rona Hills area. And then we had to create that booster station up there okay. because the elevation of Rona Hills compared to that tank is so close. Gotcha. We always had complaints with the Rona Hills area having sure. low water pressure. Um Five points tanks is your medium pressure tanks. Huh. And then MRO or the Home Depot water tower is, is high pressure. This is fascinating. I, something I am. Like I'm just sitting here soaking it all in. Like yeah. <laughs> the benefit of this podcast, why we did this, right? I know, yeah. I'm learning learning as we go. Yeah. So let's take so you mentioned the water in our well field gets pumped to our water plant. What happens to it at the water plant? So it's not like it just comes through, it goes there and gets distributed. We treat it at the water plant. Can you talk a little about what happens there and what what so we do with it? When our, I, I'm not a treatment plant operator I guy, but, but when, when our water uh, comes in, uh, we do chlorinate our water. Um, Golly, I can't remember all the steps now, Rob. That's okay. You, you, but it, you it got gets, me. It gets filtered uh, and treated. it gets filtered. It gets treated. We chlorinate. Uh, we do add fluoride. Um, basically, it goes through our filtration system. It's taking out a lot of that iron. Uh, majority, the majority is iron that we're removing. Um, you know, a lot of people ask. When I use ice and I have those little white floaties uh -huh. in there. Right. So we do have a lot of lime in our water, and that's due to the limestone, the area that we live. Sure. And the water that we are drawing is filtered through that limestone in that underground aquifer. <laughs> so that is why that we have a lot of limestone in our water or why our water is hard. Um, and that's not necessarily bad for us that that's no. in there. That's just a fact of... 
nature. It is a fact of nature. And actually, it we have very good water in Fairborn. I mean, it's filtered very well when we're drawing it from our well field. The water that we are drawing is very good water, actually, because it is filtered. It is very tasty. It is very tasty. I think, <laughs> I think a lot of folks get confused and think that we're connected to Dayton's water system because we are close to the base. There's been a lot of conversations about Dayton water. We, but we're a completely separate system, correct? We are a complete separate system. In an emergency, we could open up and supply water and help out Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Sure. We could also open up our separation valves and we could help out Greene County. Um, but no, our system stays closed and we provide, we provide the greatest drinking water to our residents of City of Fairborn. Absolutely. Amen. Okay, so let's... Can I ask, can I ask a question before we, sure. I know, I'm just fascinated, but I'm going all the way back. Y'all just kept talking. <laughs> I was like, this is good stuff. So when a water main break happens, mm-hmm. how does that happen and why does it happen? So typically. The, for the most part. For the most part, most of your water main breaks are due to that ground swell. So it's basically like hot and cold groundswell? that hot cold okay. or that freeze thaw. Yeah. So we call it a stress fracture. So a typical water main break, if you look at a piece of pipe, it's going to be like a ring around that pipe. And that is because the ground flexes, it raises and it lowers. And, you know, you have a piece of water main and it's cast iron, ductile iron. So the ground moving is going to flex that pipe to the point that it breaks, basically. So what that looks like is we get a call and, man, you got a lot of water coming up on such and such street. So our guys are going to be dispatched out. They're going to take a look. Um, once they determine, yes, we have a water main break, uh, the first step that we're going to do is we're going to call the 811 call before you dig, and we're going to let them know, hey, we have an, emer- an emergency repair that we need to make. We have a water main break. We have a crew in route. So then that way, basically, there is stipulations to that 811 on how you get your markings. And if you meet criteria, criteria then they will come right then on emergency call. Hmm. So that's your first call that you make. You want to get them coming out to mark all those underground things that we don't see, you know, the gas and the telephone lines and all that. So, you know, then they're going to then they're going to call and they're going to get a hold of that crew and we're going to get a hold of that backup operator and and you know those service trucks that provide all those tools we're going to excavate down to that water main uh clear it off and then we use stainless repair clamps we're going to install that to that water main and we're going to then cover it up and then our once everything's good, our street department comes right back in and fixes it, and it's a complete circle. So we get a lot of questions when we do have water main breaks that we have to you know, let the public know about. One of the first questions they always ask is, do I need to boil my water? And a lot of times, in fact, I don't know that I've ever had to communicate anything publicly. Hey, you need to boil your water. What is the threshold or what is the, the breaking point, I should say, you know, for the need to boil water. So the standard is EPA says if we can maintain a 20 PSI positive pressure in that line, you do not have to advise you know, do a boil advisory. We have gotten our water main breaks down to a science. Our guys will regulate valves. 
but we are never going to drop that pressure down even close to that 20 psi threshold so we always have you know above that level we keep that good positive pressure flowing those guys are going to get down they're going to make that repair but you know a lot of people see us as the dead of winter and it's cold and we got a water main break and they see us out there running that hydrant so once we make that repair we do it for a couple reasons we open that hydrant up because we also we want to move as much as water as possible once we're done and we also want to make sure that if if there was any air or anything, we don't want that staying in our system. Gotcha. So it would have to be a pretty significant event. Very significant. For us to have to put a boiler advisory out. Yes. So, Terry, do those water main breaks only happen in the daytime? No, sir. <laughs> I wish they did. I wish they only happened in the daytime and Monday to Friday. Uh, but it's actually the complete opposite, Rob. Typically, they happen when you least want them to. Sure. Uh, typically, it's, you know, midnight, one in the morning, and it's 10 below zero. And those guys are going out there. And it's, you know, Christmas. The, on Christmas. Yeah, always on a holiday. Um, so, no, if, if we could plan them, that would be great. But you never know when those things are going to happen. Do we have certain areas of town that are more prone to water main breaks than others? We do. We have, and and that kind of goes back into, you know, designating, looking at those areas where we need to put those new water mains. And we do need to put more emphasis, just like on our roadway, we need to start getting that, you know, our infrastructure for our water and sewer fixed. You know, city of Fairborn was built in that 40, 50 range. And, you know, a lot of those things, I mean, Fairborn has done a great job keeping it going but we definitely want to continue moving forward with updating those and putting in newer better materials uh, so it lessens those 12 and one o'clock in the morning calls so we've talked about turning the tap on and getting water out let's switch now let's talk about i've just boiled some spaghetti and i need to drain that pasta when i put drain the pasta in the sink that water goes down the drain what happens to it from there So once that uh, water goes down the sink, that water goes down, it's going to exit your house and then it's going to go out there to, you know, we talked about those manholes every 300 feet. So it's going to hit that sewer main. It's going to find it no matter where you live in the city of Fairborn. It's going to find its way all the way out off of uh, State Route 4 to our water reclamation facility. And that's where all of that water ends up. It's going to end up to those gentlemen out there taking care of treating that. That We call it the dirty water, but sure. uh, that, that sanitary water is going to uh, Fairborn's water reclamation plant. So the difference between the water system and the sewer system, is the sewer system also pressurized? No, sir. So the sewer is all gravity. Okay. So the sewer water is going to fall by gravity. Uh, now, there is many areas that just because of the the amount of distance to get it all the way out there to that water rec- reclamation facility, we have to lift that water up. So we have to bring it up to a higher level and then let it fall back down again because it's falling gravity. It's falling by gravity. Sure. So we do we do have to, we're not pumping the water per se. Right. We're just lifting it so it can naturally fall back to get, you know, that distance away. So, so that's why we have lift stations. That's why they're called lift stations. Man, yeah. see, I'm mm-hmm. learning all kinds of things today. <laughs> 
You should listen to the podcast, Megan. It's I know. It's a pretty yeah. good podcast. These make sense. Huh? Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> How many of those lift stations do we have in Fairboard? Do we have several? I don't need yeah. you to tell me exactly, but Southeast, there's at least three or four. Chapelgate, Kaufman. Yeah. Uh, three. And so those are very important because they take a collection of multiple areas into one lift station and then put that into the into the system that's right so you know one large area of ter- of fairborn is going to basically fall and they're going to come into that that lift station that lift a- lift station is going to raise that that level up and then it's going to fall back you know sure. towards the next one or towards the next area of town to where it can just com- completely keep doing that to get to the wastewater plant I won't ask you to go through the technology that's involved at the plant because that is a very precise and impressive presentation. I would recommend uh, either we maybe put some in the show notes or we can maybe uh, have folks go to the plant and take a tour because the technology involved over there is pretty amazing. But let's put it in kind of layman's terms, if you don't mind. Um, Once the water gets to the plant... What happens to it, and then where does it end up once it's done with that process? I like to. I agree with you. I like to call our guys out at the wastewater plant. They're scientists because they are scientists. Absolutely, uh, they're very good at what they do. So once that water comes into our sewer plant, basically they're averaging roughly right at about four million gallons a day is coming into that wastewater plant. So they're bringing four million gallons of wastewater in. They're treating that water. They're taking all the bad stuff out. And then they're releasing 4 million gallons of water back into the natural to the river. And and it's clean water. Right. And they do that every day, 24 hours a day. So I won't, don't want people to think that we're just taking sewer water, barely treating it and putting it into the river. There are very strict guidelines that we have to follow by the time that the gray water or the dirty water comes into the system to the time it's put out into the into the mad river there yes yeah they're they're taking all those biosolids out there is the water going out is uh i don't don't you can't drink it but it's It's not any any wildlife or anything it's right the fish are going to be able to be fine with it and it doesn't damage the, any, the ecosystem of the river. That's that's correct. I think if anybody can tour that place, I mean, that was one of the first things I did when I got here. And it is such an impressive system. Yeah. And to see the water coming in and to just see the, some of the things that are in the water when it comes in is also fascinating. Yeah. And then just to see it as as clear as it is leaving, it just it blew my mind. And it's also amazing that that whole process is done by natural means. Yeah. So we're not using chemicals. You know, it's, it's all done with natural bacterias and settling processes and adding and subtracting oxygen to, you know, get that natural bacteria to do what they need it to do. I highly recommend a tour. It's amazing. It really is an impressive thing. One of the, things that kind of affects our sewer system more so than the water is stormwater. Uh, let's talk, and that's also something that you guys repair in from curb to curb are those storm sewer uh, inlets and, and catch basins. Talk a little bit about stormwater and kind of the struggle that we have with it. So, yeah, the part of that uh, 
water department, you know, our, our water and, and our distribution and collection division, they have to maintain that storm system. So a lot of people think that, you know, those open graded, you know, typically at the corner of the street, you know, is uh, our sanitary sewer and it's not that's that's our storm system so all of that rainwater you know when you run that water when you drain that spaghetti down the sink that's not going to the same system correct so storm is catching any of that natural watershed and you know that's all of that captured runoff is going to go to the lakes, the streams, and it's a natural way of getting rid of that water. It's essentially just a delaying process, right? It's a way to not have everything overflow. Correct. So it catches that, and it really doesn't get treated. It doesn't go to any of our plants. It just flows from our system eventually to the rivers and streams. That's correct. So when we get those hard rains and it's going into those systems, it's a way of getting rid of that water. Right. And then it's also, as it's collected, it's just moving that water from that area to the closest stream, the closest holding area. But it's all going to flow downstream. It's all going to connect to greater greater things and keep keep on down the line keep moving so if i'm changing the oil in my car i shouldn't dump the oil into that storm sewer please don't (laughs) it's Uh, illegal that that is illegal um you know and when we talk about storm water the reason that that we do worry about it so much is because it does affect our ecosystem anything that you're going to put that's going to get into our storm system is going to end up in those lakes those streams in those rivers and we want to keep all those items that don't belong there we want to keep them out of there sure there's also a little bit of, when talking about our sewer system, some of that stormwater will infiltrate some of our uh, sewer pipes. Talk a little about how we combat that, some of the things we can do to keep that uh, inflow and infiltration out of our sewer system. So our greatest tool is, so yeah, we, we look at, we have stormwater entering into our sanitary sewer, and we don't want that. So our greatest tool is what we call smoke testing. And, you know, we typically, we try to do that every couple of years. We go around. And so what we're doing is we're pushing smoke through the sanitary sewer system. It's a natural oil base. There's no harm to anyone. But what we see is when we're pumping that smoke through the system, if you have a connection to our sanitary sewer and we start seeing smoke coming out your gutters on your house, well, (laughs) we know that those are somehow being connected to our sanitary sewer. And so that water coming off of the roof of the house is now adding to that water that we have to treat out at our wastewater plant and we don't want to do that so our greatest tool is smoke testing okay and that there's a cost involved i mean we don't want to treat water that doesn't need to be treated because there's a cost to us with that and it takes capacity away from our plant it takes capacity away from our plant we're treating water that we don't need to treat it's it's just storm water it's rain um so there is you know it's not gray water it's just storm water um so you know if if you have to treat all that water that's coming in that you don't have to treat but you are treating that's a great loss for us because we're putting money and dollars into something that we shouldn't 
And because the system's not pressurized, those sewer pipes can get cracked and be broken and even in some cases uh, even like have larger holes in them and not necessarily need to be repaired right away because it's not oozing uh, material. It's just allowing things to get inside of it. Yeah, and you, we talked earlier about our infrastructure. I mean, a large majority of our sanitary sewer in this town is, you know, it's old clay pipe because right. that's what they had back in those days when they built Fairborn. So that's what they used to carry that that sanitary sewer. So that clay, number one, it, it does get brittle over time. Right. Uh, you know, we have beautiful trees around town, but, you know, for sanitary sewer, that's one of your greatest enemies is those root systems so that root system enters into our sanitary sewer it as it grows it breaks that pipe up Mm -hmm. so by doing that it's allowing more of that natural filtered groundwater into our sanitary system and then so now we're treating more water than we want to be treating so talk about our technology to detect those types of things we have a really neat device that we can use talk a little bit about that so we also have the capability that we have basically it's a it's a fancy camera on tracks right so we call it our televiewing device Uh, we have two gentlemen in our water and sewer division and they each rotate on a monthly basis so they're going out and they're putting that camera you know you'll see them out there they'll pull that manhole they'll lower that camera down in and it's almost like playing a playstation game they got a remote control for it they're driving it through that sewer system and as it's going through it's basically televising everything in that sewer system Hmm. and anytime they see a root or they see a broken piece they stop and they record that and it measures as it's traveling up that how many feet inside that manhole you know where that uh, broken piece is where that root is where those cracks are so then our crews then know if if it's bad enough and we need to get out there and dig it up and get an immediate repair done or that's also how we determine do we want to put that area on one of our other tools is the sewer lining right you want to see an interesting technology Megan you're go blowing my them. mind go watch them <laughs> Slip line, the slip lining of sewer oh, it's awesome. is something that is fascinating and is absolutely fascinating. Um, and so that because it doesn't need, we don't necessarily want to go out and dig the street up for a sewer line if it doesn't need to be, if it's not an emergency. Right. Uh, talk about slip lining. I mean, how often do we, we try to do every some of year. that every year? Um, and then how do we do that? How does that, how does that work? It's, I wish maybe we, I don't know if we could put some in the show notes that show it, but it's, it's really fascinating. Talk a little bit it, about how that happens. It is. And it's much more cost effective for us to be able to do slip lining, Rob. It's it's a very, I don't want to say cheap because it is costly, it is. but it's it's by far cheaper than us going out and what we call open cut digging to fix that sanitary sewer. So basically we put it out to bid every year. We do budget money for it every year. And by putting that fancy camera in there and video in our sanitary sewer, that's how we determine those areas that we want to do slip lining. 
So we put that out to bid, and basically the company that's awarded to do that, they come in and they have pre-cut, I'm going to call it a tube sock. Right. So it's an inside-out tube sock. So they take that lining, and it is kept at a certain temperature. It's pre-wetted with a composite material. So... You'll see them out there and, you know, they'll go manhole to manhole or, you know, if they want to go two stretches, if they want to go one. But basically they roll that out with compressed air. So they take that tube sock and they insert it. And with that air, they push that sock and it rolls through that sanitary sewer. So then they put hot steam to it. And so that heat they put to that composite and it pushes it against the wall of that sanitary sewer and it hardens. So now inside that pipe, you have a brand new pipe inside that old pipe that is, I'm going to refer, it's basically a fiberglass lining in our sanitary sewer. Then they got a really cool device that they send this little robot through the line. And at every one of those connections for every house, for every business, where that lateral coming from that property connects to that sanitary sewer, they cut that that little spot out. So they go in and they cut, we call them a coupon. So they go and they cut that circle out to open that line back up to the sanitary sewer. We didn't have to dig the road. We didn't have to tear anything up. It's all done with with without tearing up anything else. And they can do large stretches of that in days. Yes, they it can. Is, it is a fast process compared to... And the great thing about it is there's multiple sizes. You know, we have different sizes of our sanitary system, uh, just like our water system. We have different sizes of pipe, but yeah, so they can do multiple sizes. They can do longer lines. They can do shorter stretches. If we see a stretch that's not real lengthy, but it's really bad, it's got a lot of cracks, it's busted up, we can have them come in and just do that short area and we don't have to, you know, saw cut the road and dig the hole. And it's it's a great tool that we have to, to fix our system. It's fascinating. It really is. So along that, let's finish one thing with stormwater. We have certain areas of town because of our the age of our infrastructure where we may not have put in the appropriate size or uh, amount of system to handle the water that gets when we have large rain events. Um, talk about our, we have a plan to address those things. Can you speak a little bit about that and what we plan to do over time? Yeah, we so we try to look at all of those areas and our greatest struggle is, is we don't have a lot of monies available to put into our stormwater. Um, you know, some of our older sections of town, when it was designed, when it was put in, and the amount of water that that system was capturing at that time is greatly different than what it's capturing now. So it's basically overloaded. Right. But until we're able to get the funds to get in and completely redevelop and redo that, then that's when we start running into the issues that we have in parts of town that we see. Um, We try to keep everything clean. We try to keep everything flowing as best as possible. But typically those older parts of town, you know, we have sections of Fairborn that they don't really have a 
piped storm system. Right. They have what we call basically a clear well system to where it's basically just a big open holding area and that water goes in and it just naturally leaches into the ground to get rid of it. And those big rain events that we have, it, it doesn't take long to reach that capacity and then we, we see those backups. We'll talk a little bit about this when we get talk about engineering, but now when projects come in, we make developers and folks that build these projects take the appropriate precautions to make sure they capture that water from making a flood event, right? That, that is correct. And most of our newer plats, every household does have the option if they want to connect their downspouting and, you know, to get that water away from their property. Right. We know that it's getting away from the property. It's getting away from our sewer system. It's going to the proper piping to get it moved to the area that we want it to go. I want to say that the estimate to fix all of our flooding issues in town is in the neighborhood of $56 million, uh, was the number I think that was done several years ago. So let's take an inflationary factor, let's say sure. that's 60 plus million dollars. We obviously don't have that money just sitting around, right? Uh, nor do we have any grant funds or anything coming in to help do that. But we've got a plan to address specific areas as money's become available. Yes. Um, Talk so we do we do that as part of our five year capital planning project, right? So we've got a couple areas where we're going to spend some money and at least do some study work to develop the solution, so that then we can maybe put some money into making the fix. Yeah, and you know can't stress enough how important it is for our storm to get those funds to do that work. Uh, Fairborn is a little older town, and we definitely have fallen behind on doing those repairs and getting those things done. We have some sections in our town that doesn't have any storm, the, where basically that water has to fall, you know, pretty good distance before it will reach an area to where it can escape and, and you know, clear out. Before we end this episode, let's talk trash. You want to trash talk a little bit? Absolutely. <laughs> Love trash talk. Part of what uh, this the Public Works Department does is our sanitation department talk a little bit about that and uh, we just recently awarded a new contract for our commercial trash uh, talk a little bit about what we do for residential commercial why it's broken up so in starting january one we started with rumkey for our residential trash um, one of the things i was excited about was you know for many many years garbage was always collected in fairborn on monday and even though that was very beneficial to all of us that everybody knew on Monday, right. they rolled those garbage cans out and they were gonna pick it up on Monday. Our struggle was is a lot of times if something got missed on that Monday or somebody was a little bit later getting those cans out, then that garbage set until the following Monday. Right. So one of the things that I was happy about was now we have trucks here in town and we split it up in a five day, five zone area. So we have those trucks here one day of every, every day of the week. So if something is missed on that Monday, Tuesday, we're notified. Typically we can get them back out there to catch what was missed. Sure. So we did switch, like I said, January one. Um, it is a five day process. Um, the town was split up in those five areas and everyone was notified, you know, what day your area would be collected. 
Um, on the other side, we also are now 100% with Rumkey. Um, our uh, commercial trash is now done as well through Rumkey. So it everything is covered with one company. A wise city manager once told me, young in my career, that one way to upset the residents of your community is to change the day you collect their trash. Yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs> How did that transition go? I mean, it, we went from one day to five. Um, it could have been a disaster. It could have uh, been. Talk about the success that we had with that change and how smoothly it went, all things considered. I've been very pleased with it, Rob. I think the transition was, for us, actually, it was very easy. Sure. We saw a lot of those complaints for, you know, hey, they didn't get my garbage. They didn't pick this up. They didn't pick that up. And with them being here all week long, you know, Monday through Friday, We've been able to take a lot of a lot of those complaints of missed or, you know, hey, I was a little bit late and I didn't get my garbage out. They call us. Rumpke's been great. They get out there. They'll pick it up. So it has cleaned up our town. We don't see as much garbage laying around, you know, throughout the week. It's it's getting collected. Um, the transition was great. We had plenty of notification. I know, Megan, you uh, put a lot of stuff out there to help people remember the days and when they were going to be picked up um, but for us and, and my departments it, it was a very easy transition great is there anything we haven't covered Terry that you wanted to, to put out there I think we've covered a lot uh, nope I'm so good. public works is more than just potholes and, and you know water there's a lot that you are oversee a lot that our folks do day in and day out by far it's one of our largest uh, segments of our workforce so public works covers a, a large umbrella of items rob and you know i'm very proud of all of our guys and, and gals and what we do um from you know supplying that water getting that gray water moving that storm water, taking care of those potholes, removing the snow, fixing the equipment. You know, it, w there's there's a lot of moving pieces and uh, I think our people do a, an outstanding job. I second that, absolutely. Megan, anything you wanna add? No, I'm just blown away. And I, and I think I'm blown away because there's such a, you know, I think we take for granted sometimes what happens when we turn on the faucet or we flush our toilet or it rains and we just see the water going away, you know, or, you know, we're safe and warm in our houses while people are out plowing our streets. Yes. I just, right. I don't think a lot of us and rightfully so, but we don't think about what happens like on the backside of all of those things occurring. And I just, I think it's really helpful. And I, I appreciate what you guys do as a citizen of this community. Um, to know that I don't have to think about what happens when I flush my toilet. That's right. It just goes where it needs to go and, and things happen. Yeah. And that's that's a testament to our, our people here. And so kudos to you and, and all your guys and gals. I've got some great memories in the 24 years of, you know, it's, 
many times when we would be standing out there in the middle of the road and it's snowing and someone would come out of the house, you know, in front, you know, we're working in front of their home and they would come out and they would say, Hey, I made you guys some coffee or we've had people come out and say, Hey, we made you some cookies. It, it's Christmas night and you're out here doing this. And, you know, we'd have that water main hole, you know, the, the holes dug and you see that pipe and the water coming out of it. And, you know, it amazes me every time when they say, well, what is that? Well, that's where your water is coming from. You know, that's how it's being supplied. And it's, it's great when you can do that and somebody can actually see it Mm -hmm. because, you know, it's buried, it's out of sight, it's out of mind. A lot of your stuff, nobody ever sees, you know, and it's all away from, you know, the public eye. And so it's really helpful to explain all that kind of stuff. I mean, even, even the fact that there's somebody at the, the salt barn, Mm-hmm. filling the salt like I just don't think about that kind of stuff it's just it just happens and so it's nice to to have some of those things broken down there's definitely a lot of moving pieces to yeah. it and uh, we have a great staff and like I said I, I couldn't I couldn't begin to tell you how proud I am of all of them and what they do mm-hmm. on a daily basis yep. Terry before we sign off let's talk about you uh, you're relatively new in this position but you're fairborn through and through grew up here live here uh your dad was a employee in the public service department, uh, public works department and back in the day. So talk a little bit about your, I mean, your Fairborn through and through. Another example of a Fairborn person making the city that they grew up in better. I am, Rob, 100% Fairborn through and through and proud of it. Um, my father hired in, <laughs> you're going to get me on this one. <laughs> My father hired in with the city of Fairborn in 1974, and he retired in 2004. He did 30 years. Um, I left Fairborn saying, I'll never come back to Fairborn. I'm not going back there. You know, I left. I, I did my time in the military, and I came back. And I was very lucky, and I was able to get hired on with the city of Fairborn in 1997. I've worked in all of our departments throughout public works at different levels. And I've been blessed. Uh, I raised my son here. Uh, Me and my wife, we still reside here in Fairborn. My son went through the city of Fairborn, you know, school system. He done very well. And I am very proud to call myself a Skyhawk through and through. Absolutely. That's a great way to end the episode. Megan, thanks. Terry, thank you for your time. On behalf of Terry Megan, thanks for listening to the Government Ops Podcast. And we'll see you around town.